0: We're going to be finishing up 1 Peter today. Been in it a long time, and uh, I'm excited to finish it because I think we have good places to go, but <clears throat> I really feel today, it's it's hard, you know, um, it's difficult being, uh, I feel like I'm responsible for you guys, you know, it's hard being a pastor, and I'm not, I'm not complaining at all. But what I am trying to, I guess, say is that there are times when I feel that it is my j- my job and my calling and it's a reality that sometimes I feel like I'll get a word or, you know, something that comes straight from the Lord sometimes. And sometimes the, uh, the weight of sharing or not sharing or the consequences of sharing or not sharing, you know, these are always things that are always bouncing around. And I feel like... Uh, how much of this to go into the message or before or after, I don't know. But we sing this song today, and this has always been one that's uh, that's been close to my heart, is this, that we just sang, uh, Oil of Your Spirit. And it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. And, and we sing this song, and as we're singing this, I need, I'm just going to read the lyrics, I need so much to feel your touch, to know that you're with me. Your your will I've chosen as my own, but I'm so alone. I know I've strayed before, now I'm wanting more than more of the same. Give me the oil of your spirit, pour over me, cover me, for you are my strength and my portion. I'm so weak, but all that I need, I find, simply in who you are. I've been waiting for so long, Lord, to feel the breath of heaven. The wind that blows across my soul will make me whole, so while I wait for You, Your love will bring me through and I will be changed. Give me the oil of Your Spirit. Pour over me. Cover me. For You are my strength and my portion. The final verse. In my humility, You came to me and wrapped me in Your mercy. In brokenness, I realized... You never left my side. So, I'll keep pressing on. Your grace has made me strong and I run to the prize. And I got the I know as we're singing that, you know, I'm thinking about all the things that are going on right now. You know, Tim came to me earlier. We were talking just chit-chatting before church and he was pretty excited because he saw that Jesus Revolution movie, you know. And I, and I haven't seen it yet, but I'm curious about it. You know, I know that some of the his, history behind it. And I know that there is a hunger and there is an an opening right now in our culture, in our society, for God to do some pretty wild stuff. (laughs) Jesus revolution. I'd take some of that. I also know that there's this revival that's going on and it's sweeping. It's still going, right? Full speed ahead. God is pouring his spirit out. And I got this, you know, I'm thinking about all this stuff as we're singing these big words and these big assertions. And I'm, one, I'm testing my heart as we're singing, you know. I mean this is what I'm saying. What's, what's the, what are the consequences of really believing and running to the prize? And I got this picture. I got I got a, a vision, I guess I don't know if you want to call it that, but a picture a, uh, an analogy and it, and it was a big dam, not like a Hoover dam type, but just like a red rock type, you know a big mound of earth and rocks holding back a giant body of water. And we were all standing at the at the the outflow of the dam, you know at the bottom side, and you know the, all this water's behind it and and the picture, I just got this picture of like there being a lot of rocks and stuff. And there are you know, little trickles and streams of water coming out because of that immense pressure of that huge body of water. And I got the picture of a choice. I got the picture of a choice of, well, what do we do? Do we grab a, whatever rocks or sticks or dirt or garbage we can find and plug those remaining holes? Or do we recklessly... Like a like an ignorant child, start kicking at them, start kicking at those rocks, and because honestly, when we sing things like this, I think we're kind of doing that. When we, I just got a picture of that. Like we should do that, just kind of recklessly welcome the presence of God. What what you know. Would we, Are we willing to just let him just wash over us like we just asked for? We're going to be reading uh, the last part of the first book of First Peter here this morning, and I just get the sense that God could do something mighty amongst us if we posture ourselves in humility. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for speaking to us. I thank you Lord for the for the reality that to know that you have so much for us if we will just get ourselves out of the way humble ourselves before you and give you ourselves fully we could see an outpouring we could be a part of you manifesting yourself in in a mighty way Lord, I know that that you do wish to use us and change us, to pour out your glory and your presence in this place and in your church, to build your kingdom and to share your light and your love and your redemption and your power, your glory with the world. It's my prayer this morning, Lord, that as we look into this passage of scripture, as we Lay our lives and ourselves down before you. That you would sweep in and give us the oil of your spirit. Lord, I pray that you would, by your might, sweep away the things that we so cowardly hide behind. Things that stop you from having full sway. I pray, Lord, that you would come in power and move those things today. That's a scary prayer, but I pray it all the same. Come in and be for us today, O Father. I do pray that you smooth my wrinkles this morning and everybody else's as we look into your word, and I pray that you would be glorified in this time, our Lord Jesus. Amen. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting with verse 6, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The final greeting that Peter gives is by Silvanus, a faithful brother as I regard him. I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This will be, our, like I said, our last Sunday in this book, and we've been talking an awful lot about lately about suffering and humility, and the command that we're given to clothe ourselves with humility. And this week, as we begin this passage for today, Peter drops a little phrase that I that means so much to me, and it jumps out, and I, it's something for us to be really, I think, aware of and try to understand. He says, he says, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God. I've been thinking a lot about that, because... I think about, when I hear that, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, I think of all of the things that we endure. Whether they be personal trials, you know, uh, sin struggles, or whether they be conflicts of, um, do I take this course or that in my life? He talks about being under the mighty hand of God, and you know, in... The context of the rest of this book, you could, a person could take that the wrong way, under the mighty hand of God. We think about the hand of God and we're kind of under it. Sometimes it could be uh, construed, if you will, as a, as a, a, a pinning down or, a, or a, a pressure, you know, like almost a judgment. God's got his mighty hand on you to like keep you down or to, or to give you trials. But that's not at all what, what Peter is saying here. The imagery of being under the mighty hand of God is that of protection. Which is a super cool, amazing thing to think about. It reminds me a lot of, the, of the, what they call the warrior's psalm. Psalm 91, you'll know it well. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. The imagery there is of God hovering like a mother hen over his people, protecting them and sheltering them. And he who, it says, he who dwells there in the shelter of the Most High will abide, he'll stay in the shadow of the Almighty. It goes on to say, I will say to the Lord, Ah, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings... You will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, and the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. What, a, what an imagery. Especially when we think about the things that would rattle us, the things that make us suffer, whether they are you know, the, the terror of the night for some. Yeah, You ever had the terror of the night? or the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in darkness, whatever it is that has us rattled, our great comfort in life and in death, as you good reform kids will know, your great comfort is that you are not your own, but belong, body and soul, life and in death, to Christ. And it's in this truth, it's in this truth that we can clothe ourselves as we struggle, and I, and I do think we struggle. You know, we, just, we, we sang in this song that we sang, I'll keep pressing on, your grace has made me strong, and I'll run to the prize. First off, we have to ask ourselves the hard question of whether or not we are running toward the prize. But if we are, there are lots of fears and lots of hesitations and lots of obstacles in the way. It is a fearful thing to stand before God and say, Have your way with me. It's a fearful thing. Unless we clothe ourselves with humility and with the knowledge that He's good. But it's still scary. It's still scary. Last week, we started in on, on humility. We've been talking about it. Because humility and suffering, they have to go hand in hand. And I just got the impression that we should talk a little bit more as we finish out this, this scripture. Because the imagery that Peter gives us in this passage is powerful, and it applies. I mentioned last week, my highfalutin scientific study, that confession that we have made mistakes does not deteriorate trust, but rather builds it. Any of of you brave souls endeavor down that road this week? It's kind of hard to do, again. It's hard to do. But how critical is it that we as, as Christ's church, as we seek to weather the storms that life throws at us, that the enemy throws at us. And if we want to seek all he has. For our individual lives. But also seek all that he has for us as a group. As a community of believers. As his church. We cannot ignore. We cannot ignore. This practice. To, humili- to practice humility. And you know. <clears throat> as I think about it. And as I. Try to figure out, you know, how it is that we apply it to, to, to where I think he wants us to go as a church, you know? How do, we, how do we endeavor to practice this? Laying ourselves down for one another. Being honest with the areas where we missed the mark. Being honest with the areas that we need to grow. Or where we, where we flat out just fall on our faces sometimes. If we, if we could, can we be okay with that? And what kind of doors does that open for his, for his church to grow? It is scary, it is scary to think about laying out in front of your friends and loved ones, you know, the areas where you fall short. But we're reminded here in this passage about our adversary, and I like it that he says your adversary, the one who is against you. And we do, church, friends, all have an adversary, one who wants, whose total energy is bent toward undoing all that God has done in your life. He wants to undo it and destroy it. Your hope of things God may yet do in your life, he wants to undermine and destroy those too. And it says here that he, he, our adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. The lion. Now, you know that uh, it's a good illustration because being a cat obviously is the spawn of Satan. That's right. I'm not sorry, you cat people. No, I'm just teasing. The imagery is fierce, though. A lion is scary. I remember one time we were at the zoo. Cassius was just a little baby, and we were at the Des Moines Zoo, and it and many of you've been there. I know it's it's a it's a nice little zoo. We're lucky to have it. Very fortunate. But uh, they have the big cats area, and I remember being there, and I had Cash in his stroller. He was just a little guy, and uh, they have this in the and where the lions are. They've got like a little shed or a little I don't know what you call it, a little shed thing, a little lean-to, and you can go inside there. And there's these big thick glass walls, and the lions are on the other side of the glass walls. And I remember. Uh, Yeah, some of you may have had this happen to you, but I remember standing there, and this big old lion was on the other side of that wall, and he was just cool as a cucumber, just sitting there. You know, he's—it was a quintessential lion, you know, big old shaggy mane, paws like that big, you know, just sitting there. And he was pretty close up to up to the thing, so you know me, I was like, "All right, hey lion, What, what what's up today, lion?" And some of you know, can smell how this story's going to end. So the lion's just sitting there cool as a cucumber and, and uh, doing his thing. And I'm sti- sitting there, you know, and I'm just, I love those big, big animals. They're, they're super cool. And so I'm sitt- sitting there, you know, and like looking at him, trying to look him in the eye and all this stuff because I feel safe on the other side of the glass. Well, as soon as I turned away, you know what happened? Boom! That old lion reared up and just batted that window right where my head would have been. And it made a big old, like, boosh, you know, sound in the glass. And I tell you what. whoo, about needed to change my drawers. because, Because the lion was just sitting there, chilling, waiting. He, I think he had hunting on his mind or something. But he... He, did, he showed no indication of being my adversary. He was sort of an object of glory for a little bit. But as soon as I turned my attention away, as soon as, as I wasn't watching him, boom, and I, that glass had not been there. Well, that would have been game over, I'm sure. But it's a good picture because that's how our enemy is. He sits and he waits and he, and he waits. He waits for our attention to be diverted, or he waits for us to let down our guard, or waits for there to be some kind of opening where he can do what he does and knock us flat. An opportunity to devour. And you know, it's, I think it's great imagery too that, they, that, that Peter uses to say our, our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion because you, cats, you know, they play with their food. Yeah, and the, sometimes you feel like the enemy's like that with you. He'll take every opportunity he can to knock you down, and then he w- doesn't just make a quick one of you. No, he wants to play with you. You know, you ever seen a tomcat with a mouse? You've seen it. They get the mouse. They could just end it, but they, it's like they take delight the in drawing out, ending it. And the mouse scurries and tries to get away, and and then half the time, the will kill the mouse. And what? Just leave it. Makes me think of the enemy of our souls. Huh? Prowling around, looking for an inn where he can get us. Now, the reason that it's important, I think, that Peter, in, in this passage talks at the same time about humility and our enemy being the roaring lion is because this is because oftentimes nearly every time it is our personal struggles our personal doubts our personal insecurities that the enemy waits to exploit Peter gives us good advice good teaching to a- approach these with humility and honesty and love because if our faults, if we hold them and guard them and protect them to such a degree like this, the enemy is just waiting, just waiting for an opportunity to use those against us and just knock us flat. Just kill us. Now I'm going to... Poke a little fun at myself this morning. We talk about, you know, our uh, our personal insecurities, our personal faults, and how the enemy would would use those and jump all over those to neuter us, to knock us flat, to make us ineffective. One of my personal faults is. Some of you might know this already, but that's okay. One of my personal faults is that I want to be the best. I want to win. And. So that means obviously that I always want to project strength, you know, and that I'm on top of things and that I'm a tough guy and all this this stuff like that. But what you may not know is that sometimes that kind of thinking comes from a place of weakness. Are you surprised? I want to win because oftentimes I feel like I've lost. I want to look like a winner. Because, man, I get defeated all the time. So, I strive. And I push. And I demand. I want to be the best looking, best skilled, most spiritual guy out there. You know? I want to win at all the stuff. And then... I get surrounded by you folks, who are all better looking, smarter, more spiritual. I'm losing, fellas. <laughs> I could point out some of you, you know. Uh, well, you know, like, walking to men's breakfast yesterday, there's Cody. Hey, Cody. How's it going? You know? You yeah, Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome back there. You know, I'm never going to hold a candle to Sean. We can laugh. It's okay. Sometimes our weaknesses are weaknesses because God wants to use those to grow us, you see. And so for my, my weaknesses, I strive and I push. And for someone who doesn't want to take the time to get to know me, they might see my striving and pushing and challenging and forcing as you know narcissism or uh, some sort of a complex you know short manson whatever you want to call it it could be misconstrued in so many different ways right I guess what I'm trying to say is, church is that our personal weaknesses, our personal faults, those things that, that bother us, if we, if we hold on to those very tightly, if we guard those and let either our success in overcoming them or our weakness in failing... Get to us. And if we let that be a a self-centered thing, the enemy is all over that. If I feel like I have to win to feel important or loved by God, or effective. But if I acknowledge, and if I and if I if, if I give up when I don't, if I give up when I fail, or if I give up when I'm not smart enough to figure something out, or 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 uh, or whatever. <clears throat> but if I it, well, then we all fail. But if I acknowledge this tendency to all of you, okay if I acknowledge this tendency and refuse to take myself too seriously but approach it in humility, refusing to get offended when someone exceeds me but instead rejoice, then the pushing, then the striving, then the challenging tills the soil for Christ's glory in the church and it doesn't divide us. I hope that that makes sense. I hope that that makes sense. Because it's the same for all of us. Every single person in here has personal weaknesses, personal faults, personal things that you're embarrassed about and feel, feel insecure about. We all have it. We do. We all have those things. If we will humbly admit those things first to ourselves or to God and then to ourselves and then to one another. If we can just be open about the areas where we fall short, you know what can happen? We can lift each other up. If we continually try to hide the things in areas where we fall short, then the enemy will will, he's like that roaring lion. He's just looking for an opportunity where he can get between and knock us for a loop. You know, this I don't know if I'm even making sense today. This is the same for all of us. There are so many different gifts and callings in in God's church. Even in in this very room, God has called us and our different personalities and our different gifts and our different faults all to work together for his glory. Even our faults. Did you know that? God doesn't want to eradicate your faults. He wants to use them. And redeem him and glorify him. Why? Because then we can know that whatever has happened or whatever he's done is from him and not from us. Praise God. You know, there's different. Okay, so I'm a a striver, you know. I want to strive. I want to challenge. I want to challenge you because I want to challenge myself. I want to be challenged. Now, there are others that have different gifts. There are others uh, in here that are feelers. You know, and I try to be as as sensitive as I can to what people are feeling, but there are some who it is a gift and a fault to feel. You know, and those feelers in here know that it can be a gift and a fault. Do you not? Because you feel, you feel deeply. And, and me, I'm like the bull in the china cabinet. cabinet, cabinet <laughs> the cabinet that comes in and, and kicks and, and jostles and shoves down because it is mine to challenge. And it's mine to strive. And it's mine to push. And it's yours to feel. And if you start to think that I'm doing what I'm doing in, to hurt you, then again, the enemy comes in. There are some who are servers, you know, who, who live to serve. You see needs and you fill them to, to the glory of God. But just like with the strivers and the challengers and the feelers, if the servers begin to start to think, woe is me, I have to do all the work instead of glorifying God in the serving, then what happens? We've all been there, right? We feel like we're being taken advantage of and, and the enemy, again, can get in there. There are celebrators, I think this is an element of the church. I really do. Celebrators, rejoicers, worshipers that love to party. Praise God. But if they start thinking that the party's all about them, we get off track, right? Our adversary, the one who sets his will against ours, is always creeping around looking for the ways he can get us off offended, off track, against one another. Are we willing, as, as members of Tainer Church, as members of Christ's church, members of his body, are we willing to acknowledge our faults and our weaknesses, let them be known, and let them be redeemed? Are we willing to do that? That's a choice we have to make. If we're going to see Christ glorified, we have to begin with, where are we broken? Where do we need healed? Where do we need redeemed? Now, let's not forget the promise. The promise that Peter gives at the end of this letter is that after, in verse 10 here, he says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be the dominion forever and ever. Now, in the context of this letter, okay, I want to be careful not to, you know, preach this completely out of context. In the context of this letter, written long ago to the people scattered and persecuted, we know it's for us too, but the original intent of the letter, these people were chased and tortured and dying and on the run, and this promise had weight. Oh, did it have weight? Hang on. God will redeem you. And granted, we find ourselves in a vastly different place. But the adversary is no less real. And we are no less persecuted in a way. They may not be running us down to find us and kill us and torture us like they were them. But he's still after us, to undo us, to make us ineffective, to make us impotent and Christ's message impotent. It all still applies. Now, church, I'm excited because I believe wholeheartedly that we are on the edge of a transition as a church. I really believe that. I do not believe for a second, again, it's mine to push, it's mine to challenge, but I do not believe for a second that that Christ has built what he has built here and done what he has done here so that we can all be comfortable and stable. So that we can come to church each week and know exactly what to expect and everything in its order and in its place and that we can just go through the motions and be done for the day and go on with our week. I don't believe that that is what he has assembled us for and I don't believe it's what he's brought me here for, or you. I believe that we have growth to have happen. That we have, that there are, there are ways that he wants to move in our community, and most importantly through our community, because it's not about us. It's about what he would do through this body. We're going to be taking the next couple of weeks, maybe three, uh, to talk a little bit about who we are. What he's doing here. What I hope that he would do in us. And I'm excited about it. I really am excited about it. That we, we have, I've, I fully believe that we have work to do. Yeah. I believe we have places to go. I think we have things yet to see. I do not believe that we are in a stasis. But we are to travel further up and further in. And to see what he will do in this place. Is anybody with me? Okay. Whew. Praise God. I thought maybe this was the end. <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. The first step for us. The first step for us is to get humble before God and to say, "Lord, I'm broken." To say to our brothers and sisters, "Hey, I'm I'm broken." There's places I need fixed. Because you know what, guys? If we shine the light of God's love in our dark places, you know what happens? They lose their hold on us. They lose their hold on us. If we freely give to God what it is that the enemy wants us so badly to hold on to, if we freely give that to God, (laughs) then the enemy has nothing on us anymore. Praise the Lord. So let's start there. I'm excited of where he will take us together, church. Father Jesus, Father, we thank you so much for the promise that we have in you of freedom and of glory, and that you will come and put all things to right. Father, today I ask that you would help us by your spirit to accurately and honestly weigh out those things in our lives that are opportunities for the enemy to devour us. Lord, some, uh, some of us may have been devoured slowly for years, the enemy just playing with us like a tomcat with a mouse. But Lord, you want us to have freedom. And so I don't know what you want, maybe what, how it might translate into action today for different people uh, there may be some here, Lord, that want to confess today. They want to shine the light of your truth on, on their lives, that they might have freedom and that you might have room then to, to blow in and do something amazing. Lord, there may be some that want to renew and say, God, you know what? I'm tired of messing around, tired of more of the same. I want, I want fresh. Give me the oil of your spirit today, Lord. Maybe there's, for, that, for some, that's what it is today. I don't know how it applies, but Lord, I ask that you would speak to each heart and that you'd give us all courage to respond in a way that glorifies you and opens the door that we might go further up and further in and might see your power revealed in your people. This is our prayer. Have your way in us, Lord. Have your way. In Jesus' name.